Once again, I invite you to go to that prophet in his book, uh, Obadiah. Again, page 772, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for us. Our text this morning is going to be verses 1 through 9. And there's going to be some things in there that uh, we're not going to touch on just because of time. But uh, if you want to have a conversation about that, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. But we're going to talk about the main theme. But before I, I, I start that, you know, why Obadiah? Okay, why should we study Obadiah? There's a few reasons that come to my mind. First of all, um, if you're doing the Small But Mighty series, you have to include it. Okay? <laughs> it's the shortest one in the Old Testament, so you have to do it. Okay? The second reason is, you know, I, I'm going to be in heaven one day. Okay? And I imagine, you know, I don't know if you ever think about what heaven's going to be like. I do, and I, I, I can just imagine I'm, I'm sitting down, and I see the river of life, and I'm like, man, so I sit down and take my shoes off, put my feet in the river, and I'm sitting there, and some guy pops down next to me, and he's like, hey. I was like, hi. And he says, what's your name? I said, well, my name's Jeremy. He said, what did you do on earth? I said, man, I had the privilege of being the pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Verona, Wisconsin. He's like, oh, that's great. I'm like, what's your name? He's like, my name's Obadiah. I said, what did you do? He's like, I wrote a book. Now, in that moment, I don't want to be like, Sorry, man, never read it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I don't want to be in that moment saying, you know, it was a little confusing. So I, never, I don't want him to be like, hey, so did you were a pastor three? Did you, did you teach my book? I don't want to be like, no, no, it was, it's just, it was a little confusing, okay? So that's the second reason, okay? Third reason is that it's extremely relevant to today, okay? We're going to see why it's really relevant today. And then the last reason is because when Jesus talks about uh, the Bible, particularly the prophets, he says they point us to him. Okay? And so we're going to see that over the next three weeks. So we're going to see how it's relevant. We're going to see how it points us to Christ. We're going to be faithful to our, um, our sermon series. And when you get to heaven, you can seek Obadiah out and you'll be like, know your book. All right, so those are the reasons why we're studying Obadiah. Uh, let me give some quick background of the book here. Uh, the author, um, honestly, we don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about him. So that's why Obadiah is going to have to introduce himself to me when we get to heaven because uh, we don't know anything about him. There's like at least 12 different people in the Old Testament that had a name of Obadiah or a derivative of the name. And so we don't know anything else about him. We, we really don't. So there's not a whole lot to say there. Uh, we do know that his name means servant of Yahweh. Um, and other than that, then we don't know anything about him. Okay, so what about uh, Edom? Because he's, it, it seems like the verse 1, it says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Okay, so we know that here's, here's the, the, the subject matter. What or who is Edom? Here's a map um, right on the bottom there. You can see Edom there, the kind of yellowish, orangish yellow right on the bottom there. If you know your geography, your, your uh, uh, biblical geography, that body of water, you got the Mediterranean Sea in the corner there, you got the Dead Sea right there, Jordan River, then you got the Sea of Galilee. Um, Israel's kind of on this side, the left side of it all, and Edom is in the southern part of that section, okay? So it's, it's a place, it's a group of people, 
Uh, we don't know necessarily know the origins of it. It seemed, if you read through the Bible, um, you know, Jacob and Esau, particularly Esau, is associated with Edom. Uh, he moved to Edom, and so he lived there. So we know that uh, there's a, a, a very close association with Esau, Israel with Jacob, uh, Edom with Esau. That's going to come out in particularly next week's sermon here, but we see a little bit of it in this text here. Um, it was not a very large place, uh, only about 20, 30 miles wide by 100 miles long. Um, from history, from biblical history, we understand that when Moses was leading the people uh, out of Egypt, okay, so down here's Egypt, and he was leading them to the promised land, he wanted to go through Edom. And he met with the leaders as he's coming to the border, and he promised them, he says, look, we're just passing through. We're not going to cause any trouble, we're not going to cause any harm, we're just passing through. And any water that we drink or animals drink, I'm going to pay you for it. And they refused him access, okay? And so they had to move, go a longer route around it. So that's kind of one of the things we know about this. We also know uh, from Second Samuel 8 that David, he conquered the Edomites because from that time when they were de de uh, denied access, there was this constant tension between Israel and Edom all the time. This constant tension. Finally comes to a head, David conquers them, and it's all through his reign, through the reign of Solomon, that Edom is kind of in subjection to Israel the entire time. It's like the older brother of Esau, but yet being supplanted by the younger brother of Jacob, okay? So you see these parallels coming through even not just with people, uh, people groups, but also in geography. So this is when you see that this says the Lord God concerning Edom. This is who he's talking to. The date of it was probably around 586 B.C., and we're going to see that next week, why we date it there. But if you know anything from church history, 586 B.C. should be a date that just kind of pops into your head. And that was fall of Jerusalem, right? Okay? And so we see that that was probably right after that event uh, that this book was written. And next week we'll get into why we tie it to that date. <laughs> But as you heard when I read the book to you earlier, Edom was facing God's judgment. So why? And what is the main point of the book? The main point really is that Edom was going to receive God's judgment and God's kingdom is going to rule. That's kind of the main point. There's a specific sin that Edom commits that we're going to look at next week, very specifically in verses 10 through 14. But in our text today, we're going to look at the heart underneath the specific sin. And that is pride. This is the reason why God is bringing judgment to Edom. He says this, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her, against Edom. For battle, behold, I will make you small. I will make Edom small among the nations. And you, Edom, will be utterly despised. And verse 3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. And so the text this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at this idea called pride. And uh, we're going to learn from this text, and hopefully God will, will use it to root out pride that's in your heart. And it is in your heart. It's in my heart. It's in your heart. It's in every one of us. This, this terrible thing called pride. Um, several years ago, a few years ago, 
it was the uh, beginning of 2013, in Adult Discipleship Hour, I taught um, on pride, and I had a handout there called uh, 50 Fruits of Pride, a Self-Diagnostic. And this doesn't go along with the message other than the fact that it's on pride. Is I was just going to let you know, I have copies of these, and so if you want to look at one of these after, uh, it's not original with me, I got it from someone else, but um, these are going to be available for you. I think it would be helpful to you as we look at the subject of pride. Well, before we do that, let's pray, ask God's blessing, and then we're going to dive into two main points this morning. Father, we need you. Um, it would be proud of me to think I could communicate your eternal word in a way that would be helpful without your spirit and his enablement. And we definitely don't want to do that. We don't want to commit that sin. God, your word is so good. It is so relevant to us today. And um, I pray that your spirit would cause our minds to focus in, put aside distractions, and just be able to see what your word has for us. We love you. And God, I just pray, I pray that whatever I say would be accurate to the text, it would be clear and that your spirit would, would use it for your glory and your honor, and your glory and honor alone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to talk to you about two, two aspects of pride today. The first one is this, that pride leads us into war. Okay? Pride leads us into war. Did you notice the language that God used here in this vision of Obadiah, uh, this, uh, this prophetic vision that he has here? He says... This is what this says the Lord, thus says the Lord, okay? And then at the end of verse 1, it says, as if he's quoting God, rise up, let us battle against her for battle. God wages war on pride. And so if we have pride in our heart, and if we let that go unchecked, and if we continue down that path, the Bible says it's just leading us straight into battle. And not a battle against anyone else, and not against battle with another human. We're talking about against battle against God, because God in the scriptures has consistently waged war on pride. Can you think of some examples? Can you think of some examples of people in the Bible where God says, you're proud, and I'm going to deal with it? I can think of a few. Um, you know, we're going to go to the example of Nebuchadnezzar in a few minutes. That's a great one. Uh, probably the greatest example, although I think uh, King Herod in Acts chapter 12 gets honorable mention. Um, you remember that story? Remember King Herod? He's sitting there, and, and people, he's given a, a speech, and, and people say, to, and they're like, that is not the voice of a man. That's the voice of a god. Okay? All right? And in that moment, Herod had a choice to make, right? And he chose wrongly. Because Paul was often, when he was doing his missionary endeavor, people called him God sometimes. What did he do right away? He says, no, 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 no. I'm a man, just like, just like you. No, no, no. Herod didn't do that. Herod made the wrong choice. And he just, Acts 12 said, he just received it. And just like, yes. Yes, I'm God. And the Bible says in that moment, God judged him. And he was eaten by worms. Now, I can't choose the way I'm going to die. But if I could, that would not be in the top five ways to die by eating by worms. 
But why was it? He got dealt very harshly with that. We can think of other examples. And, uh, but the point is this, is that God will wage war on pride. He always has. And he always will. A couple of verses I want to remind you of. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. It says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. It's one of the common verses that people know about pride. And that if we have this, it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to a fall. And we can see this over and over again in history. Over and over again, of people that are brought up high, they're exalted, they're proud, and then they're brought low. We see this in the business world, we see this in the athletic world, we see this in the church, unfortunately. We see people who rise up in popularity, and then they think they don't need God anymore, and they're brought low. Why does that always happen? Because 1 Peter 5, verse 5 is true. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I, I can't overstate this, is that if, if we allow pride to go unchecked in our hearts, we're, we're just running into battle against God. Pride leads us into war. As I mentioned, probably the greatest example of pride is King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, you remember Daniel chapter 4, for those of you who know the story, you remember, um, you got to understand, Daniel, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the most powerful person in the world at this point, okay? Um, I, I listened to a sermon recently uh, from this text, and, uh, and the, the person preaching was saying that he was like, he called him the absolute monarch of the world, Okay? And it was true, it was true. I mean, all the known lands of that time, uh, he was the leader of. And so he, he really didn't have anything to worry about. He, he, there, there was no invading armies because he didn't know of any invading armies. There was, there, was, there was nothing that he had to worry about. And so he was the, on top of the world, literally. In fact, uh, um, the seven wonders of the ancient world, one of them is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, that he, Nebuchadnezzar, this is, if you know history, there's Nebuchadnezzar 1, Nebuchadnezzar 2, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar 2, and here he was, uh, made this incredible, beautiful uh, uh, park in the middle of the desert. And the Bible says in, in, in Daniel chapter 4, he, one night, I mean, he's walking along, and, and, and then he gets this vision, he can't sleep, actually, and so he gets a vision. Daniel then interprets the vision and says, this is going to be taken away from you, you're just too proud. Twelve months go by, and then he's walking at night, and he looks out over his city, kind of with this picture uh, that you can't see very well, is, uh, uh, of, is, is portraying here, and he says, this is what I built. This is, am I not awesome? And it's in that moment that God just strikes him down. He gets a, uh, 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 a brain disease where he actually thinks that he's an animal for a while. It says seven times in the text. We don't know if that's seven months or seven years. It doesn't matter. There's a long time where he thought that he was an animal. And then it was restored, and we see some, some, some great uh, contriteness in Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to look at that later on here. But we see here that God dealt with him in a very harsh way. We see Herod being dealt with in a harsh way. We see people falling from positions of power or authority because of pride. And we see this over and over again. 
Because God has consistently waged war in pride. Now that leads us to the question, though, is if he consistently does this, why is it so bad? I mean, well, why is this so bad? Why is pride so bad that God will take someone and make him be eaten by worms, take him, make him think he's an animal? I mean, well, why, why is it so bad? Do you ever think about that? Why is that like the trigger for God? Why is it that he says pride is something I hate? Why does he say I oppose the proud? Why does he bring that? Why does he highlight that? And here in our text in Obadiah, why does he say I'm going to rise up and we're going to do battle because the pride of your heart has deceived? you. Why is pride so bad? Well, let me answer that two ways. And one, um, one person calls it because pride is, this is an original with me, cosmic plagiarism. That's what we call it, pride. Because pride essentially is wanting credit for what is not ours. Because everything we have in this world, everything you have is a gift from God. Do we really believe that? Do we, do we really believe that everything that you are enjoying, everything that you have, any comfort that you have, is a gift from God? I had a conversation with someone about this once, and, and I mentioned that. I said the very thing I just said. I said, everything you have is a gift of God, and they recoiled at that. They said, well, no, no. They said, I, I've worked hard for what I have. And they have. Very hard work. I said, well, that's true, you have, but with what did you work hard? With what did you work hard? Your, your health, your, your, your smart individual, and he is, your smart individual, but, but, but where did you get that? We do not have any say in our abilities, we have no say in the place or time in which we're born. But did you not think that if you were born in, you know, 13th century, you know, pick a country, I don't know, you know, some crazy country, it's New Zealand. Okay, so, you're, so here we are, this, 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 you know, 13th century, New Zealand, you go over to Australia or whatever, I mean, don't you think that if you're, like, you know, remote area, not New Zealand, but, you know, don't you think that would affect your ability to succeed? I mean, even you, okay, you know, how many, I mean, how many of us here have been to college, okay? I mean, many of us have been to college here. Do you think that if you were born at a different time, in a different place, you'd have that opportunity to go to college and get an education? Do you, do you think that if you were born with a different set of parents or Situation, Don't you think that would affect things? You see, there's so many things that lead to whatever we've accomplished that we absolutely had no control over. And it's just pride to say that, no, this is because of who I am. What I have is because of who I am. You see, it is cosmic plagiarism because we're wanting credit for something that isn't ours. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? I mean, this is the very heart, the very thing that Paul is dealing with here. He's saying, look, you need to look at everything in your life. And you need to say, it is a gift from God. And you see, when we do that, where's the room for pride in that moment? 
When we realize that everything we have is favor and grace and has been given to me by God, where is room for pride in there? There is no room for pride because we realize it's not us. But when we fill pride in our hearts, we start thinking that we have accomplished something. I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this, but I want to mention it right now. This is what Eden was dealing with. It says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, verse 3. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, you say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Okay, what's going on here? This, we don't know a lot about the specific place that's being mentioned here, but how many of you have ever heard of the, uh, the city Petra, the ancient city of Petra? Okay, all right, yeah, several of you have. Okay, it's, it's like built into the rocks fortified, really hard place to, to conquer if uh, you're an invading army. Petra was in Edom, okay? And so what we have here is we have that these people had security. They had uh, a natural fortified place in their residence. And now who's going to attack us here? Not only that, in verse 7 it says, all your allies have driven you to your border. So they were confident in their friends and their allies. In verse 8, it says, Will I not on that day declare the Lord destroy the wise men out of Edom? It seems to me, and we can also see this in Jeremiah chapter 49, but it seems that there was, uh, the Edom was known for having uh, philosophical or wise people. And so they were, they, were, they, were, they were trusting in their security. They were trusting in their friends and allies. And they were trusting in their wisdom. And that's what's going on here. And he says, no, I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to bring you down on this because their security, God gave that to them. Their friends, God gave that to them. Their, their wisdom, God gave that to them. And God says, I just have to remove what I've given you. You're going to see how long you're going to stand. You see why this book is so relevant to today? I mean, people come to Madison because they're chasing dreams, right? Whether they, they come to the university or, or they want to be, they have got visions of being in government and, and of political aspirations. If they want to build careers here. A lot of times people come here for those reasons. But we can't do that without God. Everything you have is from God. That's, we cannot miss that crucial point because if we don't believe that, even for a second, Pride is creeping in. And God says that leads us to war because he says, no, 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 no. Don't take credit for something you haven't done. Now you think, well, now you're talking about everything I have. Of course, you know, I can see how rich people can get that point. I can see how people can see that why they can be slipping into pride and things like that. But I'm rich. You don't know my bank account, Jeremy. You don't know the bills that are stacking up. You don't, you don't know the trials that I'm actually in right now. In fact, no one else in this room really knows because I'm trying to keep it hidden. So I understand what you're saying, but that's not me. You know, here's the thing about pride. It leaves no one behind. Yeah, even if you don't have much, even if we were to be able to look at your bank account and we would see single digits in there, pride still can have a grip in your heart. Here's how. Because we can think of, in terms of different, this is where I've seen it for people who don't have much, is that they think they deserve more. Is that they think, I have too many trials in my life. I have my unfair lot in life. I deserve more than what God has for me. 
In fact, I should be having a life of ease and I don't have it. I should have a bigger bank account and I don't have it. And so therefore, God is not being just to me. He's not being good to me. You see, pride comes all in different ways and we can say that, that we're all affected by it. And so not only is it something that, that we need to realize that, man, everything we have is a gift from God, whether we have plenty or want. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4? He said, man, it's a gift from God. It's for me. I'm going to receive it as such. So no matter where we're at, we need to realize that. And if we don't, if we think that we're in control of that, then it's cosmic plagiarism. Now, let me just say this briefly here. I just need to say this real quickly here. Is that, you know, you say, well, man, if, if you live a life of saying that um, everything you have is a gift from God and that you don't really deserve what you have, that sounds like a pretty miserable life. That sounds like um, low self-esteem and, and things like that. So, so surely, does God want us to kind of be self-loathing and say, I don't deserve anything, I don't deserve anything at all. And, uh, no, 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 you, you, you've gone too far the other way, and that's pride in itself. Because you say, wait, how is that pride? But here's the deal, is, um, you know, humility, the opposite of pride, is that we graciously receive what God has given to us, right? Okay. See, what happens then is the people who are self-loathing and say, I'm not deserving of it, and they're refusing help, they're refusing God's grace, they're basically saying is, I should be able to earn this, and I'm not able to, therefore I reject it. You see how it still makes them the center of it? You see how it still makes them the center? And You know, a, a, a humble person says, God, you've been gracious and you've given us to me, I'm going to receive it and then use it for your glory. So we mix it all up. Not only is it, is it we, you know, so terrible, the reason why God judges so much is because we forget who is in charge and this was this cosmic plagiarism, but as C.S. Lewis calls it, it is a spiritual cancer. Pride is a spiritual cancer. Pride keeps us from being who God created us to be. Ever stop to think about this? And again, I got this from Lewis as well. By the way, if you have a book, Mere Christianity, okay, how many of you are familiar with mere Christianity? Okay, so okay. Read the book. There is a chapter in that book. Small, it's only about four or five pages, and he deals with pride. And it is well worth your time, okay? Let's say well worth reading those four or five pages on pride. And and he, he calls it a spiritual cancer. And then he says this line in there. And it just it's like I knew this, but I never really thought of it this way. He said it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Okay? Yeah, some of you are recognizing that quote, okay? It's, it is through pride that the devil became the devil, because before pride, he wasn't the devil. God didn't create him as the devil. You see, this is why God hates us so much, because it, it changes who we are intended to be. We're not intended to be this way. We're not intended to be proud against God. We're not intended this way. But yet it mars the image. And I, I think this is one of the reasons why Nebuchadnezzar was made an animal so we could see that it makes us less than who we should be. See, pride changes all that. Um, but you know, it's interesting in Daniel, uh, you don't have to turn there, uh, I, but I, I just want to read this to you. At the end of all that, Nebuchadnezzar, 
He says this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven. This is after he'd been an animal for thinking he was an animal for a while. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And he says this, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Think of the, the judgment. Think of the, the, the treatment plan that God put Nebuchadnezzar through for his pride. It was radical. I think, that, I think that Lewis is right when he calls it spiritual cancer because the treatment for cancer, people often, if, they, if, they, if they're diagnosed with cancer, they wrestle with whether or not they even have the treatment because the treatment can be just as bad as the cancer. You know, and... Um, but here, Nebuchadnezzar went through thinking that he was an animal for a while and losing everything. And yet, at the end of that, when he came out of it, he says, God is just. He didn't say, God treated me unfairly. God treated me in a way that was wrong. He says, no. He says, he is just and his works are right. And he praised God. So, how terrible does the disease have to be to want to go through a treatment plan like that? You see, pride really is that bad. That's why God hates it, and he always deals with it, because it is a cancer to us, the spiritual cancer to us. C.S. Lewis, he says this, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. You know, we could spend a whole sermon unpacking how that pride uh, does love, and another one on contentment and the common sense, but I'll, I'll say this. It does eat up the possibility of love because self-centered people don't love. They can't see what God is doing in other people because they're so consumed in themselves. and They're so busy being irritated with everyone else and so busy wondering why everyone else is letting them down that they can't, they can't love anymore. They can't celebrate with other people in their, in their progress and everything because they're just so irritated all the time with other people because they're not matching up their standards because they're focused on themselves. Contentment, it, it robs us of contentment because pride is longing for an elusive, impossible goal. Nebuchadnezzar had everything. In chapter 4, it says that he, when all this happened, he was at ease in his palace, the Bible says. I have it written down here. It says, I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And yet, that very night, he was terrified by dreams. He had everything he wanted. And yet, he was terrified by dreams. He had no contentment. Pride will never lead to contentment. If we allow pride to build in our life, and if we allow us to think that we're better than what we are, or we are not humble before the Lord, we will not be content people. But then Lewis talks about this idea of common sense. And that leads right into our text back in Obadiah in our second point. So we saw the first point that leads to the war. He says, I will make battle against this. And he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, verse 3. Pride, number 2, leads us to fanciful living. It leads us into living a life that isn't reality. It leads us into a way that is, is not true. And that's what he says here in verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. It's deceived you. Now notice the location of the pride there. It, it's, it's the pride of our heart. Now the reason why I bring that up is because pride is part of our fallen DNA. Okay, All of us struggle with it. Every one of us in this room right now 
deal with pride on some level, okay? It looks different in different ways, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But it, you, it, it, it's true, we have to deal with it. It is some, this is the reason why this book is so relevant to us today, is because every one of us, if we're thinking we deserve something that we're not getting, that's part of pride. If we think that we're not getting the praise that we should get, that's pride. If we think that um, we're not worthy of God's grace, that's pride, saying that we know better than God. And so it all comes back to this, and this is the reason why we have to deal with this uh, very seriously in our life. The, 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 the location of pride is in our heart, and the reason why I wanted to bring that out is because we can't outrun it. A change of scenery isn't going to remove pride from your life. A, a, a change of, of pace or a job or whatever the case may be, you're going to take that with you, and I'm going to take that with you everywhere I go. Because it's part of who we are. The pride of your heart has deceived you, what Gaia says. This is quoting God there in the prophecy. But not only notice the location of the pride, which is the heart, notice the subtle manifestations of pride there. I already mentioned some of those before. I do. Let me let me share. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, I have two brothers. Okay, one is three years older. Now, if you're a younger sibling, uh, you know that you're you're always in competition with the older sibling. Okay, and uh, that was. I mean, my my brother. I wanted to do anything that he could do growing up, and I wanted to do it better. Yeah, I was a very competitive person by nature. Um, I, you know, uh, I was doing a lot of things really young in life. Uh, I was reading books at three. I was riding a bike, a two-wheel bike, no train wheels, at three. Um, and it was like one of those 20 inch deals, you know? It was like, you know, my feet barely would hit the pedals and all this stuff. And I could ride it really well, I just couldn't stop. That was a problem. Uh, we lived near this big parking lot, and I'd ride around there, and the, the house was right up next to the parking lot. And, and I'd come around, and whenever I wanted to stop, I'd just yell, Mom! And then just keep going. And then Mom would come out, and she'd have to kind of catch me and, and stop me, you know? Um, now, the reason why I did that, those things I really liked, wasn't because I was a genius or I was this really athletic or anything like that. It was I was competitive. My brother was doing it. And I remember my brother and the cousins riding the bicycles one time, and I was on the tricycle. And you can't keep up with bikes on a tricycle. I figured that out real fast. And I said, nah, we're not doing this. And so I went into the house, and I said, Mom, I need to learn how to ride a bike. And she's like, okay. So we went out, and man, I picked that thing up, and it was because I was competitive, right? You would think, as age and time goes by, you lose some of that. You know, my brother's five foot six. My older brother's five foot six. He hates the fact that I'm taller than him. I love the fact that I'm taller than him. <laughs> my brother lost his hair at 18. I'm hanging on for dear life, okay? <laughs> All right? Okay, because I'm competitive against my brother. You would think, though, over time. Let me tell you a quick story. There was, there was this uh, group, a uh, music group that my brother and I listened to. Mainly they were an acapella group. This was in the 90s. Um, actually started in the 70s, but we listened to them in the early 90s. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a group called GLAD, okay? All right, some of you recognize the group. And uh, my brother and I went to concerts and things like that, and, and uh, we listened to it. One day, this was just a few years ago, I tell you, I'm still struggling with pride here. A couple years ago, um, my brother sent me, it was on Easter Sunday, he sent me uh, a screenshot 
And he says, look who liked my post. Okay. And what had happened was, is that Goliath has a song called the Easter Song, and Jason, my brother, had posted it on, on his Facebook. And Ed Nail, the lead singer uh, for the group Glad, liked his post. And I was like, hey, look at this. You know? And I was like, I didn't know you guys were friends on Facebook. He said, yeah, a while ago. And I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to do one better. I'm going I'm to have a conversation with Ed. And so I, I write Ed, okay. Facebook, we get friends, and I, started, you know, and I was like, hey, thanks for your ministry, blah, 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 and everything, and I was kind of sincere about that, but I really wanted just to show my brother that I could do one better, and he writes me back, and he writes me this nice, well, oh, thanks, that means so much, and I really appreciate that, and everything, so I'm starting to write him back, thinking, man, I'm going to take screenshots of this, I'm going to show my brother, okay, now here's the deal, I hate Facebook Messenger, because... <laughs> Sometimes it sends things that you don't want it to send. So I'm going to send him thing, and this is the first thing it sends to him. You can show the first picture of the next one. All right? So I send him a cat sticker with a donut. So I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. He's going to think I'm weird. So then I'm trying to fix it, the next one. So now it's a cat riding a little moped. So it's like, why? I just imagine that now sitting there with his phone going. <laughs> you would think I would stop. There's one more. <laughs> All right? God deals with pride, okay? Or you would think that I would, I would have like, you know, no, no. And so I like, so, so then I finally get a message. I'm like, dude, I'm really sorry. I don't know how that happened. You know, forgive me. To this day, he's never responded to me. <laughs> All right. He thinks I'm some whack job in Wisconsin. And all you're going, yeah, yeah, he's right. Okay. All right. Now, here's the deal. Is that pride comes in so many subtle ways. <laughs> that was motivated by pride. I was just trying to one-up my brother. And I was glad that it happened to me because I had been seeing this for the perfect illustration, okay? But, I, you know, it was a reminder. And I, and I showed all this to my brother. I said, look what happened today. And he just laughed and laughed. And it was just recent the other day. It was, we were talking about something. He's like, hey, you send anybody other cat stickers? <laughs> you know? Pride creeps in in the most subtle ways. In a conversation. I wonder what they're thinking of me. I wonder if they're appreciating what I'm doing. Um, I hope they know I'm better than them at this. They're talking about your accomplishments. Yeah, okay. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm better. Okay. Whatever the case is, I mean, it just, it just, just gets into our lives in so many ways. And God says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. It's deceived you. I told you that his man, the manifestations of pride, there's security, verses 3 and 4, I've already talked about that, um, and uh, where they lived, and so they thought that they were, um, uh, they thought that they couldn't be defeated. Uh, friends and allies, I mentioned, wisdom, all these things, this is what was going on in deceiving their hearts, of saying that they were trusting in all these things. And I think that we do the same thing. We trust in our bank accounts and our retirement accounts. And we trust in the security of our homes and the security of all these other things. And the reality is, 
It's God that's keeping us together. It's God. We trust in friends and acceptance and our allies and all these things. And, and the reality is we have one friend that matters. And that's Jesus, right? And we, see, we trust in our knowledge and our wisdom and our ability, our ability to plan. Look, I'm a planner. I like to plan ahead. I like to have a plan and make sure that we go according to plan. I like that. Okay, that's how I'm wired. If you give me a problem, immediately I'm starting to think of solutions right away. Okay, if you say, hey, did you know that we got a problem with, I'm thinking of solutions right away, like, you know, talk to my wife about that, you know, but, um, or uh, whatever the solutions are, but you know, it's not our wisdom. You see, pride just can get in all these things, there's nothing wrong with security, there's nothing wrong with friends, there's nothing wrong with wisdom. If that's the, the, the deceptive nature of pride, it will take even good things and make them bad things, and make them cancerous to us. So let me conclude, and I just want to show you, I, I, I want to give you some takeaways real quickly here, and then I want to go back to Daniel, and then we'll be done. Here's what I would like you to take away. First of all, we need to recognize God's universal reign. Now you say, well, where did that come from? Okay, Edom. Remember Edom? That was not Israel. That wasn't like the you know, people of God. But yet, here we have God exercising reign over Edom. And so you might be here today, maybe you're questioning whether or not this Christianity thing is even worth following. And maybe you're saying, I don't even know about Jesus if he's real or whatever the case may be. So this message, you know, it makes sense if you're a follower of Christ, but I don't know if that's me or not. Well, the reality is, that's really irrelevant because God still is in rule over you. Just like he was in rule over Edom, even though they weren't the people that God was working with at that point in history. And so... God has this universal reign. He created us, and he created you, and he has a right to rule your heart. And we should be in subjection to him, submission to him. So we also need to recognize God's hatred of pride. That was kind of the theme of today. Things we but God hates it, just absolutely despises it. But then I want to mention this. We need to recognize in all this Christ's beauty. We've talked about how terrible pride is. You know, I, I've said the two main points. First was pride leads us into war. But you know, Christ modeled humility so our pride would be covered. You know, I was thinking about this as I was praying about the message and thinking through. My pride God has waged war on. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus stood in my place. It's like David, Philistines represented a battle against Goliath. David stood in the place of Israel, foreshadowing Jesus standing in my place. God waged a war. It was terrible. Isaiah 52 and 53. Read those texts, prophetic texts about what Jesus went through. But it says this, it says that he was beaten so severely that people went back in horror and that he wasn't recognizable as a human. Why did he do that? Because God wages war on pride. And Jesus says, I'll stand in his place. This is a simple act of faith. 
being one with Christ, repenting of our sins and following Him. Not only is it that He wages war in private, it leads us into fanciful living. Your pride just leads us into a place where we're living in a, in a reality that isn't true. And it's, uh, it's, it's something that we want that's much better than what we have. You know, in Christ, you can have that fantasy life. You can have that eternal life that is greater than our imagination, that is much better than what we deserve. You see, we want to go by our own way. And pride, what is that? I want to build my life here. I want to build my fanciful life here. And Jesus says, no, I, I, I've done it for you. I've done it for you. You see, in all this, you always got to see how it points to Christ. And this is what Christ has given to us. So we need to wage war on pride. And we start with repentance. And we ask God to change our heart and to root up the pride that lurks within each one of us. So this is what we need to do. So I pray, and my prayer is that this week, we as a church, we repent of any pride that's in our lives, and we seek to root it out. But pride is pretty deceptive, as we said. So here, I just want to end with this. Are there any indicators that would help us know that pride is being rooted out? And I think Daniel answers that question, okay? So I'm going to put it on the screen. Therefore, O King, this is after Daniel interprets the vision and says, you're going to be brought down because of your pride. Therefore, O king, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities. Break off your righteousness by practicing iniquities. Break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. I think we get great wisdom here in how we can see if pride is being rooted out. First of all, the idea of practicing righteousness. And I'm going to mention this a couple times. The only reason why is this is not doing enough good works to offset the pride. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that pride causes us to negotiate even the most basic of God's commands. Okay? So pride causes us to negotiate even the most basic of God's commands. And what Daniel here is telling Nebuchadnezzar is like, just do right. Just do what you know is right. Because that takes humility to submit to God. So he's not saying do enough good works to offset the bad works. He's saying that's showing that your heart is submissive to God. So just do what you know you should be doing. Don't negotiate. Don't get into this idea of, well, if it makes sense, I will obey God in this. No. Just obey The second thing he says there is show mercy to the oppressed. Almsgiving is typically what is meant here. And the reason why this is so important is because where your treasure is, there is your heart. That's Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And so again, we're talking about indicators that pride is being rooted out. When we relinquish control over our stuff. Real quick, I want to tell a story about my wife. I didn't tell her I was going to tell her this. But she knows now. Anyway, here's the deal. When we first got married, and if you know anything about my wife, she loves budgeting and all that stuff. And she's great with money and that's awesome. When we first got married, I remember walking around Target or Walmart, wherever we were going. It was before we did all of our shopping in Amazon, but then we actually had to go to stores back in the day. Remember those days? Anyway, so we were going to Target. I remember this would happen so often, so often. I don't know, we wanted toasters. I don't know what it was. So we'd be going, and, and we'd walk around, and I would carry the objects. And we'd go, and by the time, without fail, we got to the checkout, she had talked herself out of buying the item. Okay? She didn't want to spend the money on it. Okay? She said, ah, I don't really need it. Why? Because she valued the $10 more than toaster or whatever it was. Okay? And that's just how she's wired. She doesn't need a lot of stuff. And, you know, she, she likes practical gifts and all this stuff like that. Really boring. Anyway, 
The point is this, is that she, she's, uh, 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 she, she valued the money more than the object. Okay, fast forward to adoption. Okay, now if you know anything about adoption, uh, you gotta write some checks. And they're not small checks. A lot of times, you know, two, three thousand dollars at pop, sometimes even more. I remember seeing the same target lady here that talked herself out of a toaster all the time, sitting down with a checkbook with a smile, bouncing her step, saying, two thousand dollars. You know, just like that. What happened to target lady? All right? <laughs> What happened? Well, what happened is that she had a greater treasure, right? And so it was worth spending the money on. It was worth it to her. The child was more important than the money. The toaster wasn't more important than the money to her. And so you see, her treasure had changed. And so the money was, give it away, give it away, give it away. You know, the Bible here, he says, this is what you need to do. You need to, you need to, you know, you, uh, give your money away. And remember, he, Jesus said the same thing to the rich young ruler. He said, I've kept everything, all, all the commands. And he says, no, 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 give everything. He said, give it to the poor. Now, is he saying that if we give everything to the poor, we earn salvation? No, of course not. What he's saying is he's saying, you're showing where your heart is. Pride says it's mine. Pride says, i, I got to keep it. And so how do we know if pride's being rooted, our, rooted out in our life? Are we being obedient to God? And how are we, or are we free with our possessions? And I'll just say this, because my time is way gone, but I'll say this. I think for us as a church, even more than money, because we tend to be a pretty generous church with money. I think more, or more selfish with, that I attempt to be more selfish with, is time. That's my time. No, no, no. no. This, is, this is my space, my time. I'm not going to give it away to anyone. You know, one of the ways we know that God is rooting pride out is we say, my money, my time, my talents, everything is God's. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And it wasn't because those good works earned it. It was the reality that he had repented and God had changed his heart. And so I want to give you some action points. Remember that God hates pride. Remember that God is, has a universal reign over us. Remember the beauty of Christ in this. Repent of pride and follow Daniel's advice to Nebuchadnezzar here about rooting this out in our lives. You see how relevant Obadiah is to us? It's a really relevant book to us, and I'm looking forward to unpacking it even more in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a people who abhor it is so deceptive. And God, I'm sorry. You deserve so much better. God, it's amazing how pride can, I mean, we're, even when we do good things, it can just creep right in there. May we be vigilant to that. And may we repent of that. And God, you deserve so much better. We dare not want to commit cosmic plagiarism or allow spiritual cancer to rule our hearts and our church. And so we pray for your spirit to change us and to make us more like Christ, who, even though he was God, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.